0: Welcome to Momentum Church. Uh, so a, a few weeks ago, Pastor Brantley came up to me and he, he said, "He said, Corey, the, the our topic for June is going to be. This is June, right? <laughs> you know, you never know. You, sh- you should know. Anyway, <laughs> topic for June is." The, biggest, the hardest lesson I've ever learned. The hardest lessons I've learned. And as soon as he said that, I just thought, man, has God made the ground fertile? <laughs> like, I have so many to draw from. Oh, and then so the process of elimination, you know, how, how which lesson? Oh, they're so good. But I had, I had a thought this morning, since it's Father's Day, that I would share a few of my, just a, a few quick lessons that I've learned being a father. Is that okay? Can we do that? Yeah. So, okay. So if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're not a parent yet, middle school, can everybody say hi to our middle schoolers over here? Yes. <laughs> I asked Pastor Tyler to keep them in here because uh, I'm going to tell some stories from my middle school years and I want you guys to hear some good stuff. Not good stuff for me, good stuff. <laughs> Ugh, anyway. <laughs> Obviously, they don't have any kids yet, but there's a lot of people here who, who don't have kids yet, or maybe maybe you're in the process right now. One is getting ready to come out. We have a few uh, pregnant moms around here. We have a brand very first time, Max. Yes, welcome, Max Shaw. So fun. I got the name right, right? I did. You don't know what a struggle that is for me, oh but uh yeah and or or maybe you you I, if you have like small ones like the Robinsons, you guys from small ones some some of these this will resonate with you, I think those of you who have who have had like you know the tweens and, and teenagers, I think this will resonate for those of you who have adults that have you children, you know please share with me the tips I need them uh because mine are teenagers, and, and I know nothing. So, um, but here, here's, what I got. So here's, here's what I've learned, my biggest lesson from each stage of child life. Is this going to work? Babies. It's all about poop and sleep. Am I right? They poop and sleep. You get poop on you and don't sleep. Like, that's that's the basis of it. Uh, toddlers, it's I, I've, the hardest lesson learned there. It's all about legal cages. Now... <laughs> Now, I I say that, I I want you to hear my words, legal, I'm not talking like, we're not putting them in like pig pens or anything, like, that's not a bad idea, play pens, (laughs) legal cages, like anything, like once they're up and they're mobile, like you've got to keep that mess contained, you know, because if you, if you, you know how it is, if you, you just look one way for just a moment and zippity quick, they are gone, and they're throwing eggs and all kinds of stuff. My poor wife, when my, when my kids were just toddlers, she was working third shift. She would come home after working third shift. I would hand her the kids and be like, bye. You know, I would go to work. She's already dead tired. And, and we went from, from living just this wonderful two people, two adults life to having three kids in the span of 18 months. Right? Yes. <laughs> Woe <Whoa> is me. <laughs> <laughs> It was much harder on her. But, no, uh, but, uh, uh, like, these kids, like, Kristen, poor Kristen would would just, like, doze off for a second. And one time, they got into my tools and got the, the chalk line chalk. Out, you guys, you guys know I'm talking about. Yes, and it was the red kind. And like Kristen wakes up just enough to hear nothing, which is always scary. Like, what's happening? Where'd they go? She finds my children completely, they look like Aborigines, like completely covered in this red chalk line chalk. And so, cages. I I developed at at a young age, of their young age, I developed what I called the sanctuary of safe. Right? It was whatever, whatever barrier I could build to just keep them in so I could do the dishes, so I could do the laundry, so whatever it was, I would build in my office, I would build it at home, wherever we were, I would build out of chairs and pillows the sanctuary of safe, legal cages. So, yes, small kids, it's, the lessons I learned, it's all about boundaries. Yes, hallelujah. Hey, listen, buddy, bathroom time is a one person thing okay? You, you are not Jesus. You don't need to stand at the door and knock. Like, just, <laughs> please. <laughs> this, this, is, this is a one-person game. You stay over there. Like, there's no playing here. So boundaries, yes, boundaries are a big deal. Older kids, you find out that child labor isn't so bad, right? How many of you have teenagers that mow the lawn for you now, or you had experienced that at one point? Yes, I haven't mown a lawn, my lawn in like two years, and it is absolutely wonderful, absolutely wonderful. I will lose that here, in, in a few very short years, they will leave, and I will buy a nice riding lawnmower, <laughs> <laughs> but for now, my children push it. Awesome. Child laborers, and then teens, I think the biggest lesson I've learned thus far, and they're just, they're, they're new into the whole teendom. I say that. I've got two 14-year-olds and one turning 16 in a couple of weeks, so... That's pretty much in the middle of it, but I think the lesson I've learned with teens is just don't ask. <laughs> just if if you if if you're not sure you really want to know, just don't ask. Just don't. That's I just put write that down, put it in your pocket, and next time you're like, "What are you up to? What are they? Where were they thinking?" Just don't ask. Just assume on their behalf and and get over it. It'll be okay. I was watching a, a guy talking earlier this week and he was ranking he had he had seen somewhere where holidays were ranked and Christmas was number 1, right? Number 2 was Mother's Day. You guys earned it. Yeah. So it's so it's Jesus Christ and its moms. Do you know where Father's Day landed on that list? 20. It was 20. Arbor Day is ahead. I can't even name 18 other holidays. But they were 20. What in the mess? That's not right. But mothers, you, just, you, you deserve it. Jesus, mom. Did your moms have like a favorite scripture? Most moms that I hear, and tell me if this was your mom, this too shall pass. <laughs> right? Anybody, Kristen, she's like, yes, this too shall pass. And that just kind of speaks to the grace and the mercy of a mom. You know, just the gentle, the peacekeeper. This too shall pass. That was not my mom's. My mom was affectionately known as the Grand Inquisitor. <laughs> I just She's watching. I love you, Mom, but you know it's true. The Grand Inquisitor. My mom's verse was, be sure your sin will find you out. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Man, it didn't matter what happened. Either she knew what happened or she was going to know because she knew the questions to ask and she knew who to ask the questions to. And it was just, just be sure your sin will find you out. And man, that has hung with me. That's one of those verses that it just gets stuck in your brain and you're just like, oh Lord, please no, please don't find me out. Yeah, it's, it's, it's stuck with me, stuck with me. Sin equals guilt and the guilty shall pay, right? I think the lesson that I'd like to focus on this morning the hardest lesson I've ever learned is this every secret sin has a birthday. Every secret sin has a birthday. And so we go back to that that, that verse that scripture that says, Be sure your sin will find you out. And that kind of you know talks about that. Be sure there will be a day when it all gets exposed and give birth to death. That comes from Moses. Uh, speaking to the twelve top tribes of Israel t- in, in numbers 32. basically what had happened is Moses had taken the Israelites out into the desert we all know the story and they had gotten to uh, gotten to the borders of the promised land and they had sent out spies into the promised land to to talk to, to find out what was going on where the armies were and all this kind of stuff and the spies came back and they said oh my goodness it's, a, it's an amazing place it's so the land of milk and honey and, and grapes as big as your head and like, all these things but there be giants you know and they go and how, how scary everything's going to be. And they decide as a group, we're not going to do this right now. And as a consequence, God said, well, if you're not going to do what I've told you to do, then everybody over a certain age, we're just going to wander around the desert and you're going to live and die here. The next generation will inherit the promised land. And so it gets to that time and they're, they're, they're there at the Jordan and and it's time to cross over and it's time to fight. And a a few of the tribes come, and it's, it's, it's the, the Reubenites and the Gadites, and they come to Moses with half the tribe of Manasseh, and they say, listen, we, for the past several years, we've been in this one area, and it's really not bad here, there's, there's grass, and there's hills, and, and we've, we've kind of created a home here the past few years, and honestly, we really, we really don't want to cross over, we really don't want to fight, we just kind of want to stay here, is that okay, and Moses says, Ah, oh, heck no, that is not okay. He says, listen, your, your ancestors tried this a few years ago, and you guys know what happened. You, you have to, do, you know, there's no option. You have to do this. And they said, well, they went back, and they came back, and they talked to Moses. They said, look, what we're going to do is we're going we're to leave our families here. We're going to leave the kids and the children and all the animals and stuff here where, where we've built a home. We will go with you. All of our fighting men, we will cross over, and we will go into the land, and we will fight with you. And when we have victory, when victory is secure, Can we come back to our families on this side of the river and and can we live here? We really like it here. And Moses agrees. He says, Okay, we can do this. But he says this in 32, verse 23, he says, But if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. Make no mistake, your sin will be known and it will have consequences. And this is a warning. right? Some call it a threat, but this was a warning to these men, and we honestly ought to take this as a warning today. Yes, it was a specific word from a specific person to a specific group of people, but that doesn't mean that there isn't wisdom that we can't glean. Amen? Somebody with me? Yes. Be sure your sin will find you out, but Corey, that was the Old Testament, right? That's the no fun testament. That's like angry God testament, Let me grace Jesus' testament. Can we go to that one? Okay. Jesus actually echoes the same sentiment in Luke 12. Verse 1, Jesus spoke to his followers saying, Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees because they are hypocrites. In other words, their walk does not match their talk and their hidden motives and hidden secret sins behind every one of their actions. Just before Jesus said this, he had, he had been having dinner with a bunch of Pharisees and he was just telling them truth. He was just spitting it out as fast as he could saying, This is what you're doing and this is what you're doing and this is what you're doing. It was all about the way things looked. It was all about living to the letter of the law, not to the heart of the law. And he he comes out of this meeting and Pharisees are starting to jump on him and ask him questions and trying to catch him in traps. And the disciples are like, hey, why don't we just back off for a while? He says, no, we're not going to be like them. And then he goes on to say, everything that is hidden will be shown and everything that is secret will be made known. Everything that is hidden about their, their, their desires, their motives, their heart will be exposed. It will be exposed. Make no mistake, your sin will find you out. And guys, these words aren't meant as a threat, but a warning. These are words of wisdom that we are meant to apply to our decision-making process. Do you guys have a decision-making process? I hope so. You're like, left, right, right. Okay, there it is. <laughs> Flip a coin. There should be more to it. There is so much truth and so much wisdom to be gleaned in the Bible. Man, if you get, we were just talking this morning about wisdom and how incredible she is. And man, just the life change that can happen by following simple ideas set forth in the Bible for us. And this is one of those. These are, these are not supposed to be heavy words of condemnation to be feared. But I'm going to tell you right now, a little fear isn't a bad thing. Okay? My favorite scripture. Those of you who know me know it. This first, uh, first, no. Is, uh, uh, my, I just drew a blank. Proverbs 1 seven. There it is. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Just the way that starts off, it just lights me up. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But then there's the other side that says, "But fools despise wisdom and instruction." Can I just tell you this? It doesn't matter how young you are in middle school. Where's our high school students at? Raise your hand, don't be shy. There's more than two, three. Where do you are you at? Liars. Don't ask. It doesn't matter if you're middle school, high school. It doesn't matter if you've graduated, if if you're a career person, if you've retired. It doesn't matter. There are times in our life when we need instruction. And sometimes that instruction can come across a little harsh, and sometimes it can come in a way of discipline. But listen, fools despise wisdom and instruction. When it comes your way, shut your mouth. Open your ears. God may be trying to tell you something. I have completely lost my place. <laughs> I don't know where I'm at. Every secret sin has a birthday. This is a lesson that I learned early in my life, and um, I'm going to tell you guys a story. That um, that in, in 20 years of ministry, um, I had my 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 own church. I was a lead pastor for a number of years, and I've I've been a youth pastor for years. <laughs> Now Tyler is taken up, yes. But this is this is a story I've 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 never told um, when speaking, and it's because oh I don't want to get emotional. Um, this is probably the most humiliating moment of my life. This story I'm going to tell you, um, the most embarrassed I've ever felt, the most defeated I've ever felt, and I experienced this in in sixth grade. And uh, you see, when, when, uh, when I was little through elementary school and, and middle school, and I, I went to a Christian school in East Liverpool, Ohio. And, uh, and we, it, was a far, it was far away, only like a 40-minute drive. But um, we didn't have any buses. The school was too small to have buses to take us where we go. So we would, we would hitch a ride off of several different school systems' buses. So I'd get up in the morning, and I'd get on a bus, and I'd go to this place, get off, get on another bus, and go to that place in order to get to my Christian school. And it's not like I was riding the elementary school bus. I was riding the high school bus. And you can imagine, as an elementary school kid, riding with a bunch of really cool high schoolers, because when you're in elementary, all high schoolers are cool. You're just like, ha-ha. And public school high schoolers, that don't go to church, you can imagine the conversations aren't necessarily what you hear once you get to the Christian school. And so at a very young age, I'm hearing all this stuff. And in my mind, I'm equating all these things with that's what, that's what it is to be mature, and that's what it is to be cool, and that's what it is to be liked. And, and, and it developed within me this, this, this distorted view of who I, I thought I should or who I wanted to become. And there were desires inside of me that I allowed to grow. And, and after listening to their stories and their conquests of, of girlfriends and this things and that weekend and this staying over, I, I had for some reason in my head that this, this is what was going to impress my friends. And so I remember in sixth grade, you know, all the hormones are starting to you know, push and, and everybody's wondering about these things and that things and the secret conversations are happening. And, and, and I decided to begin just lying about what my life was like. All because I wanted to be liked. All because I wanted to be respected. I wanted to be the cool kid. I, I wanted them to think I was more than what I was. And, and it got to this point where I wrote a note out and to, to my girlfriend. Right? And this was a real person that I was writing this note to. And this note was never going to go to her. This, this note was for me. And, and in my note, I wrote down all the things that we had done. And, and I showed it to my friends because I was like, oh, if they see me writing a note that I'm going to give her, surely they'll believe. This is so embarrassing. Surely they'll believe, like, all this stuff. And I, I don't know what effect it had, if any. I, I have no idea. What I do know is that at the end of the day, that my principal comes to my classroom and pulls the teacher out into the hallway and... then they called me out to the hall. And she's holding that letter. I had dropped it out of my back pocket in the library. And the librarian picked it up and read it. And she took it to another teacher that read it. And you got to understand, this is a small Christian school, and and I was in sixth grade, and so all the elementary grades were in this one building, and I had had every single teacher in the building to this point. So everybody knows Corey Blair. And now everybody's reading this note. So they tell me that it's going to go home. And man, if I could just tell you how much of a disappointment you can feel going back to the home of your pastor dad who sits on the board at the school and watching him and my mom. Read that note. with all these lies... Like I said, um, the most shame I think I've ever felt in my entire life its heavy. And uh, my dad asked, you know, do I need to tell her father? And I'm just like, oh, God, I'm going to die tonight. This is the end. (laughs) Start writing my will. And uh, I remember my dad sent me to my room, and uh, I was down in my basement room, sitting there and just kind of stunned at everything. Wondering, you know, what was going to happen next, and my dad walked in and had an amazing talk with me. Whew. I didn't expect it would be as heavy as it is for me, but it is right now. And it's a little heavier because I know, I know my dad's watching right now. But he had an amazing talk with me, and my father is an amazing father. Dad, you're incredible. And he sits me down, and he says, Corey, a man fails repeatedly in private before he ever fails in public. Phew. stuck with me. It also stuck with me because he made me write it 500 times. <laughs> <laughs> My secret sin had a birthday, and everyone saw the baby. It was awful, and it's. It's. I remember. Um, I remember going back to school, and and I, I know my history with that school, and I was always having scholastic trouble. But I remember from that moment forward, the rest of my time at that school was awful. Um, I, I wore this shame, knowing that everybody knew. And I knew that for the rest of the time I was at that school, none of these teachers would ever trust me again. And I knew that no matter what nice things they said to me, I knew what they thought of me because of this awful thing I had done. And, um, and it really affected me behaviorally uh, for a couple years afterward until finally they, they kicked me out of the school. Thank God. <laughs> I moved on. Uh, that really was a godsend. But every secret sin has a birthday, and my sin wasn't what this one moment of writing this letter, Uh, it had been a cascade of failures that I allowed to happen in my mind and in my heart long before I physically acted on anything, and yes, that private failure is a sin, it is a sin, and we have a tendency to think that as long as no one knows, as long as no one finds out, then it's okay, you know, I can I can I can mess with these things online. I can go to these places and see these images. And as long as as long as I erase the history and nobody finds out, it's gonna be okay. I can I can do I can have these private business practices where I do these things, but you know what? It's okay, and as long as I tithe and I and I don't tell anybody and nobody finds out it's gonna be okay. I can entertain in my mind and in my heart, I can entertain this relationship with this guy from the gym because he was just so nice. And my husband is so closed off, and I'll just I'll just fantasize a little bit, and as long as nobody knows. When nobody finds out it's fine. It's not fine. every secret sin has a birthday in Matthew five. Jesus, he, he starts echoing this idea, he's talking to people and he says, "You've heard it said." To the people long ago that you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. This was, this was Moses's law. We talked about Moses earlier, but here Jesus is again refl- reflecting what, what that was. He says in verse 22, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to the punishment, Jesus is saying that sin isn't just found in our actions, but way, way before our actions. It's rooted in our heart and in our soul and our decision-making process. That's where sin lies. He goes on to say, you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You've already done it. The sin is already committed. Before you ever fail in public, you repeatedly fail in private. And we learned about this failure process in James. I want to go through it really quick. James 1, 14. But each person is tempted... When they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. And I'm going to take this one phrase at a time, and I'm just going to (laughs) tell you about my life. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire. I had my own unholy desire that's mine. Nobody imparted that to me. Nobody, nobody forced me into things. The devil didn't make me do it. I had a desire in my heart that was unholy. And guys, we all do. We all do. We all have those, 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 those just triggers that happen within us. Those, those untamed thoughts that just par- pop up. Those things that they're kind of always there when we try to just ignore them. Make mistake, No mistake though. you own them. They're yours. It goes on by their own evil desire and are enticed. Enticed means this: attract or tempt by offering pleasure or advantage. We are provided an opportunity to entertain our desire. Whatever that opportunity may be, whatever that small thing, you have that desire in your heart, and all of a sudden, you have that thought. All of a sudden, you're walking through the grocery store, and you see that lady, and you stop for a second, and you back up to take one more look. Whatever it may be, all of a sudden, desire meets opportunity. So then, after desire has conceived, we all understand biology, right? It takes two to conceive. Right, Brian? (laughs) You saying biology? It does. We have two. We have the evil desire. And we have the opportunity when they come together. The Bible says that it gives birth to sin. So now we entertain the what if. Secretly, on our own, we entertain the what if. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if I could do this and I imagine that and I imagine this? Notice we're still in the secret area here. Allowing our desire to entertain unholy opportunities is a sin. And I want everybody to hear that. Allowing our desire to entertain unholy opportunities is a sin. It has given birth inside of us. And this is what it says. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. You know, there's a, pregnancies you can only hide for so long. You know? Do you know? Yes, Corey, we can tell. Okay, excellent. Yeah, yeah. There's some people that want to, like, oh, I don't want to tell people until we're at like six weeks. I don't want to tell people. There's people that are like, like oh, we're just, you know, are, I, hey, you're, you know, mm, I don't want to. When, when's that baby do? <laughs> what are you talking about? No. No. You can only hide it for so long. Have you ever had a friend or somebody or maybe yourself where you know they're messing up? You know they've returned to addiction. You know they're with somebody they shouldn't be. You know they're entertaining thoughts, and you can see it on them. And they're trying to hide it. They think they're fooling people, but come on. You are pregnant with sin, and it's starting to show. And then it gets to this point. Every secret sin has a birthday. And the sin, the Bible says, gives birth to death. And guys, there's a lot of creative things that the enemy can kill in our life. It can kill hope. It can kill relationships. It can kill joy. It can kill desire. It can physically kill you. There's all kinds of different ways that the enemy can just make your life miserable. In, in my life, in my story, I allowed these conversations that were happening around me to just fuel my desires and those opportunities. And then I, I began to entertain those. And, and they grew into something that, that, that I, had to, I had to become physical eventually. And my secret sin had a birthday. It was probably one of the worst days of my life. And it did give birth to Death. I don't know that I ever enjoyed ever again being in that school. I never trusted another person. My honor was gone. Anything that I thought I had of reputation was scorched earth. All because I allowed myself to entertain desire and grow into a place it should have never become. My secret sin had a birthday. Listen, if you want to know your future failure, take a look at the hidden desire that you're secretly entertaining right now. It's easy to point out. You know it. You know it. You don't even have to think twice. You know. If you want to know the worst outcome, just play it out in your mind. Every secret sin has a birthday. And guys, it's easy to get really far down this road with no effort at all. And you may find yourself this morning in a situation where all the steps have been taken, the only thing left to happen is for death to give birth in your life. Can I tell you that all is not lost? You don't have to just sit and wait for it to happen. There is an answer to all this. In Hebrews 4:12, this is what it says. God's word is alive. And working and is sharper than a double edged sword. It cuts all the way into us where the soul and the spirit are joined to the center of our joints and bones, and it judges the thoughts and the feelings of our heart because that's where we are. Nothing in all the world can be hidden from God. Everything is clear and lies open before him. And to him, we must explain the way we have lived. Listen, I went to camp my entire life. And when I say I went to camp my entire life, I mean my entire life. From kids camp to middle school camp to high school camp. We had it separated back then, right? And then then when I graduated high school, I worked at camp for a couple summers. And then I became a counselor at camp. And then I wound up running camp for a couple summers. And then I just Became a, a good old youth pastor, just has to do camp every single summer. I counted it up, and it's like 30 years of camp. No wonder I'm so messed up. No. Okay. <laughs> but I got to tell you, I remember coming back from camp and just feeling so refreshed. I remember coming back from camp and just feeling so free and so alive, and, and everything just made sense. Why? Because I had the opportunity. To be in front of God with no other distractions for an entire week. And nothing else was happening, and people were speaking truth into my life every single night. And you guys, it's intense. Those of you who've been to camp, raise your hands real fast so I can see where you're at. It's intense. Man, there's times at the altar where you're sitting there laid open bare before God, and there's nothing. It's just like the scripture says. It cuts so deep, and it opens you up. And I remember as as a student being there in those times and being just like, God, I'm sorry. I don't know how I got to this point, but I'm sorry. And just feeling the freedom of all of that weight coming off of me. And I remember getting back home and just being like, okay, God, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and here's this promise, and here's that promise, and everything just seemed so ordered and simple. And It would only take a matter of weeks, maybe a month, before my desires would begin to rise up again, and the cloud of confusion would come back into my life. And it's obvious now why. It's obviously why I had to get saved every single summer. (laughs) Because when I'm in front of God, the truth is exposed and I can't hide. And he is faithful. Not just faithful, but he is just to forgive every ounce of my stupidity. So that I can be clean. Cleansed of all unrighteousness. Man, what a promise. Man, what a truth. But the key is to stay in front of God. You've got to stay in front of God. When it comes time for worship, you've got to worship. When it comes time to listen, you've got to listen. I know I'm not the cool speaker at camp. I got nice shoes. But other than that, other than that, I'm not the cool speaker at camp. But can I tell you right now, it's the same truth. It's the same truth. And if you can listen to a guy at camp yell at you for like an hour and a half, that's nothing. I mean, you think Pastor Ross talks for a long time. You should go to camp. Yes. Holy, holy cow. Save us, Josh. You guys know. Yeah, but if I can sit through like a two-hour message at camp, how come I can't sit through 20 minutes of Pastor Tyler and listen to that truth that God has meant for me today? Can I give God the time on a Wednesday night to open me up and, and, and reveal what's going on in my life? Come on, students, I'm talking to you. There's no reason that you need to leave camp and then a month later you're back to the heathen you were before. God has given you revelation this past week. Use it. Own it and return to it. And those of us who didn't go to camp this past week, (laughs) can I say the same opportunity is here for us? That double-edged sword, it sounds harsh, cutting straight to the deep core of us, into our motives and into our heart and our understandings. Yeah, it it sounds harsh, but I got to tell you something, there's freedom there is such freedom when you come to God and you just say, Lord, this is where I am. I've got to say all this. i got to tell you what I'm at. Even though you know where I am, it's no surprise. God, this is me. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Put me back onto the path of restoration. And I'm telling you right now, he is faithful and just. Celeste, if you come up, I want to give you guys an opportunity this morning because I would be a dum-dum to think that we're all perfect and to think that none of us have secret sin. Because I've had so many friends, friends that are just regular friends and friends who are pastors in ministry, that the secret sin, the hidden thing that they thought would never ever come out came out. And it completely brought death and destruction to their lives. Tired of seeing it. Tired of seeing it. Especially when we all have the opportunity right now to get before God in our own place, in our own seat. It doesn't, you don't have to come to the altar and cry. You don't got to do any of that. You just have to connect with the source of light that is God the Father. And say, Lord, this is where I'm at. And I know it's not where I need to be. Lord, get me back on the road. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. Let's just bow our heads real fast. Heavenly Father, Lord, you know where we're at. God, we could stand and probably give a two-hour dissertation of everything we've done wrong. But God, you know where we're at. Lord, in this moment, God, I pray that that secret sin would just catch fire in our hearts, God. May our hearts start beating. May our pulse rise, God. May our metabolism jump. May the sweat start rolling. Because, God, the only thing that this is good for is bringing death to our life. Whatever this secret sin, Lord, is, it doesn't belong in this soul. It doesn't belong in this heart. And God, the future that you have for us, the future that you have planned for us, the future for us to prosper and to to succeed and to be good, God, the works that you have planned out in advance for us to do, God, we can't do it if we're hiding things. God, in this moment right now, if this is you, if there's something you're dealing with right now, God can hear your thoughts. He's with you. In your mind, just say it straight to him. David, the man after God's own heart, he prayed and he said, Dear Lord, know my anxious thoughts. God, may you know my anxious thoughts this morning. The thoughts that are reactionary, the thoughts and the desires that just seem to come, and I don't want them to, but they're there. God, teach me what it is to experience it and turn it to you. God, to not dwell and to not let opportunity meet it to conceive sin in my life. God, bring us freedom. Bring us clarity. In your awesome holy name. Everyone said, Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.